Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening. We have a wonderful guest tonight. Her name is Aurea McGarry, and she's a successful entrepreneur, an ambassador in her local chamber, and a sought-after motivational speaker. And she is the author of of a book that I just read that I was very impressed, very emotional and heart-wrenching, but also very happily ending. And it's called I Won't Survive, I'll Thrive by Aurea McGarry. Find the strength to fight whatever comes your way, and she sure has fought. Araya has also worked on the soap opera The Edge of Night, and she appeared in many infomercials, movies, plays, and mystery dinner theater shows. She's also had success with a leading cosmetic company, and she was a professional white-faced clown for over 20 years, and I really love the picture of her in the book with that. Her first marriage, unfortunately, to a pastor's son, was he was physically and verbally abusive. Since Araya did not want her daughter to grow up in that kind of an abusive situation, she found the courage to leave. She also faced many other struggles in her life. She lost her mother to cancer. Later, her brother was also treated for cancer. And a short time later, Aurea was also diagnosed with cancer herself, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. After surgery and grueling chemotherapy, which almost killed her, the surgeon told her she'd never be able to speak again, except for maybe a faint whisper, because they had to remove a major cord to her vocal cord. Besides the vocal cord, the surgeon removed half of her left lung, part of her right lung, the lining of her heart, her thymus, and disconnected half of her diaphragm. But she pursued on with life, and now she is cancer-free, thank God, since 2000. And when you hear her, you can hear that she can talk, and she has gone beyond her grim diagnosis. She also went on to become Mrs. U.S. Beauty of Georgia in 2003, also winning the title of the most 
inspirational contestant, and she is a pretty lady and gorgeous. You'll see the picture on her book and on her website as well, which we'll talk about in a second. She now travels the whole country speaking of her message of hope and faith, and she has a great sense of humor. And, you know, I think after you hear her, you're going to want to read her book. And I want to thank you. Araya, you are a ray of light and a ray of hope for us. So thank you for joining us all the way from the East Coast. Well, thank you for having me. Well, Araya, you know, when I read your book, I read about your childhood, and it was really a challenge for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how it has influenced your life? Of course, absolutely. I just want to say my website is LiveYourLegacyTV.com. Thank you. That's LiveYourLegacyTV.com. Okay. All right. And that, that's linked on our website as well. Oh, good. Okay. So go ahead. Well, I had a wonderful childhood, and I was brought, born and raised in New York City by my mom was a cosmopolitan model, and my dad was a big Greek tycoon, brilliant businessman, Harvard graduate, and I had an bro- older brother and older sister, and we lived right in Manhattan. And I had what you might call um, a Camelot childhood. My mom was very loving and doting, and I ice skated in Lake Plaza with Dorothy Hamill every summer, and it was a wonderful way to grow up. I really just was totally blessed with that. And I tell people my good childhood for a very important reason. I became victim to domestic violence later in my life, and I wasn't surrounded by that when I was young. So I broke the stereotypes that you would think that you have to either be brought up with domestic violence or seen it in some way or shape or form to become victim to it, and that's not the case. So I had a really wonderful childhood. But, you know, I think you should also talk about how your wonderful childhood just suddenly came to a halt and, and what happened, because it's in your book, and I think it's hmm. just it just was very heart-wrenching for me. Well, it definitely shaped my life. It really, you know, we become, you know, bitter or better, and we get character from bad times for sure. So it was the point in my life where it was the beginning. And at, when I was 15 years old, my dad was brutally murdered by what they think was the mafia, one of the mafias, they don't know for sure, never was solved. It was one of those horrible, gruesome, he was shot three times in the head, thrown out of a car, he had cash on him, a full, you know, expensive coat on, and hitchhikers found him on the side of the road. And it was on his birthday, and we were getting ready to celebrate his birthday. Although my parents were divorced, he always came over on the weekend. And it took me from Camelot overnight to having nothing. It was so shocking as a 15-year-old. You know, we're teenagers. We go through enough as it is. And life is dramatic as it is when you are a teenager anyway. That for my life to totally change so abruptly, I'm sure many listeners will be able to relate because many of us go through something that just shakes your world, but it also shapes who you become. And that was such a vulnerable time for you, being 15 years old and like the whole world came apart because you had to move from Manhattan, everything that you knew, right? Yeah, we were, we had to give up our schools, and, it, you know, we moved over to the island of Queens, and everything changed just so dramatically. But I went into a mode that I didn't know I had that really did me well in my lifetime from there on after, is I got into a survival mode. And I found out a little something about myself is that I don't tend to grieve right away. I get into, okay, what do I need to do? What's my next action step? And then I end up grieving later on. So I was able to, you know, pull our family up together. I got a job. I was determined to get back in the city. And they can read all about that in in the book. But I did manage to get back into New York with my mom. And and my brother and sister did the same thing and get back into the schools we were used to. And I went to a showbiz um, high school. Actually, it was a great thing. You know, we always say 
there's a silver lining. And as horrible as a situation as that was, and how devastating it is to lose my father and a family member, it actually gave me the courage to audition for a theatrical school that I would probably never have done because I was in my little Catholic school and everything was paid for and fine. But now I needed to pay for my own school. And I took the chance and auditioned because I knew I could get scholarships if, if I was accepted. And I did go to a professional high school for theater and dance and music. So it was really everything changed. You know, sometimes the greater the pain, the greater the growth for Absolutely. many of us, right? Yeah. Really. Is. And then it was funny, about six months later is when I really just kind of realized he wasn't coming back. Yes. But, uh, you know, life happens. And I try to teach people, we're always starting an obstacle in the middle of an obstacle or ending an obstacle. Life is always happening. And we have to learn to have our grieving processes and our action processes and try to find something good out of everything, as hard as some things can really be. Just, you know, keep the faith. Right, right. And it isn't really what happens in life because all of us go through our challenges yeah. in life. It's how do we respond? And you you, you survived it. You thrived it. And, you know, it's like the, the book, one of my books is called From Victim to Victor. And you basically went from being victimized in many ways to, to being victorious. So first tell us, why did you write your book, which is wonderful, mm-hmm. I Won't Survive, I'll Thrive? Well, my life didn't stop um, happening after my dad was murdered. It kept on happening, and I'm glad I learned how to sort of thrive quickly. Um, I wrote my book when I had already been through domestic violence. My brother had gone through cancer. My mom, she died of cancer, which was heartbreaking. That was the worst day of my life, I have to tell you. Yes. And then I was diagnosed with cancer, so I'm, I was in my later 30s. And when I woke up from that surgery, when you introduced me, you just told my whole life story right there, so, you know, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect introduction. But I um, woke up from the surgery, and I was laying on that, that bed, and I had tubes coming out of my throat and out of my stomach. I had my loved ones around me, my husband, my daughter. I have a new husband. He's my Prince Charming. And he was there, and the doctor woke me up, and he said, I have good news and I have bad news. I said, Okay. And he said, the good news is your cancer is not Hodgkin's. It's curable. You're going to be fine. Bad news is, and he went through the list of what he just had to take out of me. And he said, you'll never speak again. And I, I talked to him. I said, will it get any better than this? That's all I could say for like a year. Right. And he said, no, that's actually good. And I thought to myself at that moment, okay, Lord, you're either going to show me how to live my life without a voice, then that's fine. Or people have it worse than that. Or are you going to restore my voice and you don't need my vocal cord for that? So I just kept faith for something positive to come from it. But at that moment, it came to me that I was going to write a book. That was kind of like my, my mid or final place where I said, okay, I've been through enough now that I'm going to overcome this and not just overcome this. I'm going to turn around now and try to give other people hope because I've been through enough. At that point, I know I'm not done going through things. Hopefully nothing really bad. Yeah. But let's turn it around for good. It make, makes it all worthwhile going through. If you know that, okay, you think of the Atlanta three-day walks and the, the cancer walks and the rides and things we do to raise money for charity, that's who get involved with, with those charities. The people that have been through it themselves or a loved one, that's when we get passionate to help is when we go through something. We say, wow, this stinks. Let me turn around and help somebody else go through this. Exactly. You know, and I think your faith helped you so much. I remember many times in my life when things were challenging, I remember 
hearing people say that God get, never gives you more than you can handle. I and know. then you have to remind God what he gave you, you know. <laughs> you know, I, that's a perfect scripture. I hang on to that every <clears throat> single day when I was um, going through um, cancer, especially, and I was throwing up 18 times a day for mm. 10 days straight, oh. and to be hospitalized. They said the cancer was curable. The chemo almost killed me. Exactly. My stomach didn't like it. But I remember that scripture always. I mean, when my mom died, when my dad was murdered, when I was being abused, that God never allows more to happen to you than you can handle. But when we go to where I was being abused, my real soapbox is helping women identify abuse to avoid getting into it. Or once you're in it, help them get out or identify it. Because we do have choices in our life. We can stay a victim. And then we can just say, okay, this isn't more than I can handle because God promised. Or we can say, wait a minute, this isn't how we're supposed to live our life. We're supposed to be able to be happy and enriched, and our home is supposed to be our sanctuary of, of safety, not the place where we're being beaten and screamed at all the time. Exactly. You know, and that's one of the reasons that when I saw your book and I read it, I thought this would be a good show because even though well, the name of my show is Privacy Piracy, a lot of people who are abused emotionally or physically or sexually or whatever, they they use that as a, that becomes private, private information. And one of the sad things about that is if we don't discuss it, we can't change the way things are. And so we're, we're going to talk about that. Tell me, is there a certain type of woman who falls victim to domestic violence? Well, that goes back to what I was saying. I was not brought up with it or around it or ever, ever seen it, and I fell into it. So I like to open people's eyes to know that it could, call, it could happen to anyone, any background, any race, any economic level. It is just, I think I fell into it because I'm very much of a people pleaser, and I like to make people happy. So I kept thinking I could fix it and I could make them better. Um, I've mentioned that he's a pastor's son because I thought I found a Christian husband. I thought, you know, came from a good family. But I thought his anger and his, his really horrible, violent jealousy would just get better the more he got to know me. I was just such a nurse. And you were going to help him, right? Yeah, I was yeah. going to help him. I was going to fix him. <laughs> but I just thought it would get better. But people can get into it. And like I said, any type of woman can be become victim of it. And I'm a real advocate of telling women to not let them cut off your your ties to the world, because that's when we get isolated and we feel like we're alone and we're less likely to get out because they usually take away, you know, all of our things we love to do. Um, Keep you from being with your friends and your family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you, you, you think that's your whole world, you think there's no getting out, there's nothing better out there, and you get trapped in this little world of isolation. And I looked back, I said, wow, it's been seven years. Right. You know, I've, I know women now when I speak, they come up to me just in tears, and, and it's been 20 years and 25 years, and a woman came up to me when I was speaking um, in Florida. She had a broken arm. She was pregnant, and he had done it to her, and she mm. was still with them. Right. And we I think of all the women that are, when they're pregnant, that there is a lot of domestic violence. If you think about what happened with what was Stacy, what's her name? Oh, God, my mind just went blank. But you know who I'm talking about, pa- Stacy Peterson. Out here yeah. in California, you know, there there is a very high incidence oh of murder and domestic abuse against pregnant women. But, you know, you brought up something that, that made me think about this because I've dealt with women who are, um, you know, have been treated poorly and, and domestic violence, etc. And one of the things that you brought up is that, you know, you're very giving and loving and trying to please maybe 
some of it has to do with not because you grew up in a home that was violent, although it could be, but maybe even just that codependence that so many of us are like, you know, we want to be givers. We want to be helpful. We want to help people and fix them, you know? So maybe it's that codependency that really helps to create that kind of, uh, you know, domestic violence syndrome. Yeah, it could be. You know, it's funny because I wasn't aware of domestic violence when I was an adult, so I wasn't expecting it. I I thought that the jealousy was just love and, and you know, he loves me. But I wasn't brought around screaming and yelling. So all that was really new to me. Yes. And I didn't like that. But I did, like I said, I just kept thinking that would get better because I never knew anybody that was um, that bad before. So I wasn't I wasn't prepared. Right, and I, we're we're starting. There's this educational program in Rhode Island now, starting to teach children in schools called the Katie Brown Foundation. Oh, to teach children in the, the schools, young as age appropriate in grammar school and up, what is acceptable and not acceptable behavior in life with friends, with relationships, so they learn and they know. And I think that was such a great idea. It was a place I spoke to last October. Because if you prepare children, not expect the worst and expect it, but just to know, you know, just like the dangers of the road, right. what to expect. Right. Watch out for the dangers. Watch out for a car that might run a red light. Just be alert. Where? Because I would have much rather been able to stand up for myself and say, you know, this is an acceptable behavior. I don't deserve this. I see. And that's a lot of the time that it's not talked about, you know. Now I think we are starting to say what's acceptable in teaching in schools about how not you, you don't talk to strangers even if they've lost their dog or right, you know right. they're, they're start, yeah. kids are starting to learn that but I think you're right as for relationships because we see in the newspaper all the time about coaches molesting kids oh right my gosh, I and know. and boy scout leaders and it you know and teachers all these people and priests you know <laughs> all, all these people that are in trusted positions and kids being afraid to say anything. So I think Never mind the websites. Right, right, right. But I mean, you know, actually when you're in this trusted environment, even, you know, at school we 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 hear about this all the time, women and men molesting children, that they they need to know what are the boundaries. And and this is not appropriate. And I know that this isn't appropriate and, and we've got to stop it. So you stop it before it escalates. So what are some of the early signs that you think um, are signs of abuse? Well, in my case, which is the only one I could talk about because there's so many different you know, ways and varieties and each, each situation is, is one of its own. But in my case, looking back, I realized during the dating, when I was dating him, he was very jealous. And I thought that was just, again, he doesn't know me or he, you know, he loves me. Oh, he really likes me. He's jealous. So it's kind of cute in the beginning, right? Right. And then I got to the point where little by little, things I did were wrong. Like I wasn't allowed to wear, you know, um, certain clothes. It could, couldn't be too revealing. I mean, we're talking like, don't, almost like dress me like an Amish. Let's not go there. Yeah, but yeah. It wasn't that extreme. But, and um, just to be like totally covered up and I couldn't put my eyes up if I went to a male doctor it was just these little things that I should have noticed that this is a little too, you know, a little out there, a little too possessive, a little too where he is so insecure that I can't be my own person. He always was afraid I was going to run away. Right. It's like that bird where we say, you know, let them fly. And then they and come back, right. right. But if you clip their wings, they just have no choice, you know. Right. So there's a lot of jealousy and anger in the, in the dating stages that I should have seen. But I got married thinking, well, that will change. We got married after I only knew him three months. Oh, dear. Yeah. That was a big mistake right there. 
Right. You right. know, and so then once we did get married, it just got worse for her. Eventually, he made me quit my job. You know, they say it in such a roundabout way where they're not saying, quit your job, I want you home. They do it in their tender, kind way. Well, you don't have to work anymore. Why don't you, you know, relax? Right. They don't realize they're taking away your self-esteem. They're taking away your, your friends, your lifeline to the outside world. Uh-huh. And it's a little, but mine was little by little, step by step. Right. And before you know it, I turned around. I only got one black eye. Oh, my so goodness. Mine was a lot of verbal and degrading um, abuse that sticks with you that's hard to get over. Yes. And when I go around and teach, I really help with, you know, identifying that and helping to get over that and, and reaching out for help. I'm really big into find a counselor, talk to somebody, because that hurt is deep down. Got to build back up a self-esteem that forever long you were there, they've torn apart. Right. You know, they say love is blind. That's how, you know, when you're yeah. dating someone and you love them and you kind of look Look away at some of the things that they do, and you think, oh, that's, you know, he's jealous. Oh, that means he really loves me. That's kind of cool. Right. Or, gee, he doesn't want me to work. That means he wants me to be home for him when I get home and love him up and all that stuff. And you, you, yeah, you see it in your own perspective. You're just not, you don't have that helicopter view. Right. It would have been different when we were home. You would be nice to me. Then I would have stayed home, you know. Right. It it was just such an off balance. There was no balance. It was all about him and his needs. And and it was just more, you know, like a cult type of relationship where he just, you know, dogged on me. It's like, well, what about me? But I didn't think that at the time. It was all about I need to make him happy. You know, I read a book by Gavin DeBecker, and I don't know if you ever read it. It's called The Gift of Fear. No. And it's a great book. Um, and this came out like right after uh, Nicole Simpson and, you know, right. was killed and, right. and Ronald Goldman. And, you know, obviously many of us still believe it was uh, O.J. who did it, but whatever. <laughs> that's another radio show. <laughs> yeah, that's another radio show. But, but that book, The Gift of Fear, I read that because a friend of mine actually was a captain in the Los Angeles Police Department in charge of the domestic violence unit. And she told me to read that book. He talks a lot about the type of person who commits domestic violence. And there's actually a mosaic where you can rate your spouse um, or your loved one and see what how do they rate in terms of possible future domestic violence. So that you might want to look at that, yeah, that, cool. that, that, you know, when, when you look at OJ Simpson, he was like nine out of 10. Oh gosh. <laughs> so, you know, for anybody listening who has a boyfriend or a husband or a loved one or anyone who is, who you think is possibly domestic violence, you might want to look at not only at, you know, the book, the gift of fear, but also you want to look at all I Won't Survive, I'll Thrive by Aurea McGarry. And also go to her website at LiveYourLegacyTV.com. Yeah, I have a relationship wheel on mine, too, about domestic violence and some safe havens. And you can go on there and see how many um, traits that your you know partner does have as well. It's a domestic wheel, a healthy relationship versus an unhealthy relationship. Oh, good. So they can go there and kind of rate themselves yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. And you might want to read that book. It's an older book, but it, okay. I found it very interesting. So tell me, why is it that so many women stay in an abusive relationship? Well, like we were saying, they tend to cut off your your lifelines. And we get caught up in it. And again, I can only talk about my situation because I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist by any means. But when I was in it, I know you have to kind of been through it to understand 
where a woman is because so many people on the outside would think, well, why don't you just leave? There's so many emotions going on in a woman's heart at that moment. And I say women. I know there's men that are probably abused too, but it's so more prevalent for women because three women a day die at the hands of a husband or a boyfriend. Oh, goodness. That's and, too and, you know, and they have children. Lots of times they have small children. And if, you know, in this society, and especially, I, you know, I don't know about out there, but in California, you have a lot of people who move out here to, you know, to go west, young woman or young right. man. And then they, they leave family back in Ohio or Chicago to be in the cold. And then they're here alone. And they have no place to go, like to run to their parents' house or run right. somewhere. And there are, you know, shelters that you can go to, but a lot of people are afraid to even do that. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because it's really important to know where your shelters are. If you even are thinking, because if you're being abused, you, you know that you're not happy. You know that you're sad. So, so we didn't have computers back when I was, you know, being abused. I couldn't Google my safe, my safe haven, and I've got that on my website too, some safe havens and domestic violence hotlines. But if you go on it now, just if you're feeling sad or feeling like you never know, and know where your closest one is, know where there's help, and by all means, keep the line of communication with friends and family strong. Because if it wasn't for my mom, I would have never gotten out. I so believe this. There's strength in numbers. And what, if they cut you off completely and you have nobody to run to, it is so hard emotionally to make that first move to walk out that door because many women don't know where they're going. So. And, you know, the other thing is, as you were talking about, they'll say, don't work, stay home. So you don't have any way of uh, making money. And now in this economy, if you're, right. if you're thinking of leaving, you know, with such high unemployment rates, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, and I haven't worked for 10 years right. and I've got you know, four kids under the age of 10. Yeah, you're in a, that's <laughs> yeah, a you're, you're in stuck. this, you know, stuck. You're in this between a rock and a hard place. You feel like, oh my gosh, if I leave, how am I going to support my kids? Exactly. And, and where do I go? And you, you feel like you are really stuck. So go ahead. You do feel that way. Absolutely. And what I tell women is open up communication, talk to somebody, because there's a lot of emotion going on inside you when you're, when you're alone and you have nobody to talk to, because you can't talk to him, and then you have to be up for your children, and we tend to forget to pour into ourselves as moms and wives, we're giving out to our kids, we're giving out to our husbands, we're giving to the community, we just, they're always dishing out, but we need to be fed. So if they even just call their pastor or their clergy or their uh, a counselor, you can Google a counselor that will talk to you over the phone and just talk and just get somebody else that's qualified that can start helping you sort things out. You know, you said that your mom helped you get out. So how did you finally get out of that terrible syndrome? <laughs> well, the, the funny thing is, is just as the idea came to me, I know from God to write my book, Back when I was being abused, I was sitting at home alone one, one day when he went to work, and I got the idea, I know it was from God, said, call up out the Yellow Pages, find out how to win a pink Cadillac. <laughs> it was oh, like you mean weeks. like Mary Kay yeah. or something? Yeah, okay. And it was two weeks after my black eye, and I just wanted my own $5 that I didn't have to ask for. Now, let and, me ask you one question before we get there. When you got the black eye, did you call the police? Nope. A lot of people don't. Again, he almost have to be there. What happened was he beat my face in six times with his hand in the car in front of my little four-year-old daughter. And then 
they go into mine did went into an immediate remorse. Immediately was sorry. That's so common. And it is. So I'm sorry I'll never do it again. And he never did do it again. But women I know that are being beaten all the time and they do keep doing it again. And they keep getting more remorseful every time exactly. and promising that they'll go to counseling or mm-hmm. they'll do something else and then it happens again. Yeah. We we've heard of that many, many times and then women don't want to prosecute when even if they do call the police and right. then the DA wants to take the case, then the whole family, his family comes over and says, uh, you know, hey, you know, he's going to change. He's going into counseling. He's not going to do this. And then they make the abused person feel guilty. Right. And then there's fear. I mean, look what happened. I, my heart breaks for Jennifer Hudson's family. Yes. I mean, that's when you're afraid because, okay, you might be out, but are they going to come after you? This, you've, that's why you need a lot of support. And thank God these days there is a lot of support available through the Internet. You can find who's right near you. When before it was much more difficult, we didn't, we're just so connected now with the Internet. Yes. That we can find good help. We can use it for good purposes. I, I don't know if you heard, you probably did here, um, during the Christmas season in 2008, there was this crazy guy who dressed yes, up as a, as a Santa. That was horrible. And he was abusive to her. And... He actually went to her parents' house when they were having Christmas Eve party. And not only did he shoot everybody there, but he killed his ex-wife-to-be. They were in divorce. And and she left him because she thought he was a bad person. And and then he he killed like... I don't know how many, nine or ten people in that house and set the thing, you know, had explosives. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that it can get really blown out and I didn't mean this as a pun but blown out of proportion with someone who is abusive and you know one of the things that that I remember in Gavin DeBacker's uh, DeBacker's book he talked about that if you're in a domestic relationship uh, where there's domestic violence whether you're married or not married sometimes getting a restraining order can be even worse have you heard that as well yeah it can be I did get a restraining order but I believe in them because you need something on the record Right. You know, that goes on their record, too, so people hiring them or, or dealing with them in any way know that they do have that, that that's a problem. Yes. It's kind of like a warning system. The only thing the- is, is that on the Internet now we have to be so careful. You were saying how now there's so much more available on the Internet. The problem is this also, is that if you're a victim of domestic violence, he can find you more easily. And that's why it's so important to go to a shelter oh, where yeah, that definitely. where, you know, and it you, it's hard in this information age mm-hmm. when someone can knows your social security number and they can do all sorts of background checks and find your sure. your address. So if you go to the Department of Motor Vehicle, you can get a private address that doesn't get, you know, into the records. There's some things that you can do oh, yeah. to protect yourself, right? Yeah, the safe havens know how to do that. They're they're professional and that's a good thing. They give you all the right tips. And you know, this kind of um brings back to mind there's every time you listen to the news or we're talking about domestic violence, the real the ones that are gonna come back and do that, you know, the really violent ones are there. But there's a lot, there's a majority of them that really like mine just, I shouldn't have been with him, shouldn't be living with him. It was an angry place to be, but he wasn't going to come back and hunt me down. There's a majority of them that aren't as scary as you may be thinking, because I don't want to scare the women, because theirs might not be like that. Right. Those are the ones, though, that get the media attention, because they're the, the violence. 
But there's a lot that are not going to do that, that it's going to be hard to get out, and it might be rough. Mine was rough. But there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel. It, it won't end in bloodshed. You know, but those are what, what the news is going to cover because it's dramatic and it's happening. It's horrible. But when somebody gets out successfully, that's not going to be on the news. So you think everybody's going to come after you with a knife. And they, they are, not all of them are. That's one reason I started my TV show. My TV show is all about good news and good people and the good things going on in this world. Because otherwise, if we just listen to the news all the time, we'd be thinking that, you know, all of our neighbors are mass murderers and killing somebody and on drugs because that makes news. Exactly. And and I think you're 100% right that we need to talk about the good things that are happening. And the more that we do that, that's going to create that. We're speaking with Araya McGarry, who is the author of I Won't Survive, I'll Thrive. And you can find out more about her and her website and all the great work that she does on her TV show, which she's going to tell us about in just a second. Um, it's LiveYourLegacyTV.com. And I want to go back to that uh, about your TV show because I was saying that you have a lot of the videos of your TV show right up there on your website. So why don't you talk about the wonderful charity work that you do by exposing all these great nonprofits? Well, that's my passion now. This is what I want to do the rest of my life is besides speaking and inspiring to people in person when they have me come, you know, speak and teach, is now I have a TV show um, here um, that actually just went national on Starfish, but I'm here in Atlanta and I feature charities and nonprofit organizations that are giving back to the world and the people that are dedicating their lives to them. For example, this Saturday I'm going to go to a place called Noah's Ark where they take abused and abandoned animals and put them together with abused and abandoned children, and they heal each other. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, I know that they uh, they found with some research that when they take animals to be raised in, in prisons, that those people who were prisoners really change. They become loving. They become, you know, the, getting that unconditional love that mm-hmm. they may never have had. So that's, that's great. Yes. Exactly. But it's a weekly show now on Starfish. If you have Dish Network, it'll be on Starfish. And then I'm going to be doing some specials for some um, PBSs and go from there. But I've done, like, Toys for Tots. We interviewed Ron Clark from the Ron Clark Academy. And you can also see them on my website. I have several that are downloaded on my website. Yeah, they're terrific. Yes, I saw a bunch of them, and that was was so wonderful. You do such great work, Aurea. Well, I want to feature good people because, like I said, it came to me last last year when I was on my book tour. There was just so much bad news before I went on the the news show. And it's like, we need more good news. There's a lot of good people out there doing a lot of good. And I believe there's more good out there than bad and more good people than bad people. But, again, it's, it's not what's in the mainstream news because it's not, you know, that eye-catching accident on the interstate. It's somebody doing something wonderful. So people can nominate people to be on my show or not, or organizations or even I like um, entertainment groups, people that have wonderful talents that sing and dance and do wonderful things and give back to a charity and the reason why they do it. Everybody's got a story. I just give them the air time to tell their story, why they're doing something wonderful for a charity. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, I, I think about that all the time, about all the bad news, which I hate to read, uh, listen to on the radio or watch on the TV. And I was thinking that part of the reason I think that more people do nasty things if they want attention is because that's the only way they get attention. But if we give attention to those people who are doing good things, right. I think it'll also increase it. I agree. I totally agree. So let's go back a little bit and tell us about your cancer battle and, and how things would have been 
really deadly if you were still with that abuser when you were diagnosed. Oh, well, it's funny. I, all I mentioned was that I, I called up to find out about a pink Cadillac. Didn't tell you how I got out. Mm. But they can read that in the book. <laughs> but I did get out because, and I'll tell you the secret, was I was able to build my self-esteem by being in, in a business that my mom helped me get into Mary Kay. It was a wonderful business to be in. And I just encourage women to be in any business, to do something, do a hobby, you know, uh, take photography class, do something that builds your self-esteem. That's the key. And do the something you love, right? Yes, that's the moral of that story. I don't care what it was, but mine just happened to be I got into Mary Kay. I earned a company car in one year being abused every single day. Oh my I was goodness. able to use that company car as a getaway car. And I had a way out, and I had money in the bank. That is wonderful. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like sleeping with the enemy. You got the little plan going. <laughs> right, right. But that worked out well. But here's the reason why I would be dead, and I would not be speaking to you here today, Mark, if I was still married to him. And it wasn't because of a beating or anything like that. There's also another type of abuse, and it's called the, uh, the abuse of neglect. A couple of years later, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. But the year prior to that, I was in severe chest pains. They kept getting worse and worse. It took one year and seven different doctors to find the cancer. Six doctors told me I was fine. There's nothing wrong. If it was anything life-threatening, you'd be dead by now, so go home. Oh, my goodness. If I was still married to that abusive person that was so self-centered around himself, after seeing one or two doctors at the most, he would have made me stop. He would have said, you are fine Stop worrying about it. You're going to be you're being a hypochondriac. Oh my I would have never been allowed to find what was wrong with my 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 body, and I would have died of neglect, mm. not knowing that I had cancer growing inside me. But because I was with a wonderful man who I met right before my mother died, he didn't let me stop going to the doctor. He was the one that took me to the emergency rooms. He's the one that kept getting a different doctor, and different doctors says we're going to find out because this isn't normal. It hurts it hurts too much, and I can't breathe. Wow. And I finally found it. And because of that, we found it in time. And, again, from that obstacle, from that diagnosis, like when my dad was murdered, from my diagnosis with everything being taken out of my inside, you'd think, oh, woe is me, and I'd sit back and have a pity party. But you know what? That started my next mission in life, right. to help charities, to help find cures for cancer. It makes you such a better person if you let it. Right, right. And these aren't just little, you know, hiccups, little boo-boos. I've been through some major things that are Absolutely. major. You know, sadness. I try to give people hope, men and women, and teens and kids. You're going to go through some tough times. We all do. We all lose loved ones. And illness, you know, could happen to anyone, anywhere. But use it as a good purpose. It might be your calling to help in a big way. You never know. Exactly. You know, when I read your book and I was thinking what a great role model you are, and I think sometimes, you know, uh, being that you're a very spiritual and faith-centered person, and, and I consider myself spiritual as well, and I, and I thought to myself, when I look at people like you who have taken the, 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 the most difficult times of life and turn it around to help others, that's, you know, how God chooses you, you know? They choose you to to say, okay, you take this and take what you've learned and now go back and help others, and that's exactly what you're doing. Oh, yeah. You know, it makes life more fun because you can always, you know, look at it and say, um, okay, there's another chapter in my book. You know, when I was writing my book and things would happen, okay, there's another chapter in my book. Right, right. You, know, you have to have a sense <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, look at all this great stuff you're giving me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And there's a funniest story of what my husband did in the hospital in my book, and it really is, is funny how you can turn a bad situation into just a comedy act sometimes. And I'll just leave them to 
read that far in the book, but it was so nice to have a, a wonderful husband that made me laugh because laughter is a medicine. And when I was sick and going through that, he stuck with me. He took care of me. He laughed with me and really was a riot. And I'm, we'll have our 13th anniversary next month. Well, congratulations. Thank you. You know, getting back to the privacy issue, you know, I, I, I've had lots of friends who've had cancer and friends who have it now. And Ill, illness seems to be a private matter. People are afraid of sharing the fact that they have cancer or they've had it. They don't know if it's going to be a stigma or how people are going to react. Uh, I know friends of mine right now who have told me that they have cancer, but they don't want me to tell anyone else. And, of course, I guard that right. very privately. But sometimes I think when they aren't willing to share even with other people who've gone through it, then they don't, they cut off their chance for getting extra help. Right. You know, for someone to say, hey, I've been there, done that, I can help you through. Right. Uh, what, what are your thoughts with regard to that, of keeping it private and not sharing that with people who could be of help? Well, I find with the illness and the cancer, it's not as bad as it used to be. I find so many people now getting involved with the Relays for Life and the cancer walks, thanks to people like Lance Armstrong and Scott Hamilton, you know, people that, you know. Who are um, willing to share that. Yes, Peggy Fleming, all these great athletes and people that have it. You know, we just had um, all that other actress that just had a double mastectomy. I can't think of her name. But uh, Applegate, Christina Applegate. Right. And they're coming out. So I think that one's really coming out a lot lot better now. We're all kind of pulling together and, and walking for the cause. But I still find that abuse is in the in the closet because we feel we've done something wrong. We feel like we should be ashamed because this is something that shouldn't have happened to us that we could have controlled. When illness, you can't. Nobody knows who's going to get sick, you know, or that's not our fault. You just, that's, we don't take the guilt for that as much as we do for abuse. Because abuse, well, I, I shouldn't have married him. Right, right. You know, or I married him, so why I can't complain. I chose him. And they make you feel so guilty and so like, you're a bad mother or wife, that's why I do this. Or I scream at you because you make me mad. An illness is totally different. You know, we do fall victim to illness and then we can jump out of that and, and get well or, you know, pull together with the organizations that are all out there now. Exactly. So what do you think some, you know, I'd like to talk about some steps that, that you talk about in terms of dealing with a life crisis. Part three of your book talks about that, actually. Like, what do you do when you deal with, let's say, God forbid that you're listening to this and you get a call from your doctor that things are, are not as you thought they were, that everything's okay. What are some steps you should take? Well, you know, it's funny. I just saw the, the interview with Patrick Swayze. Oh, God. And yeah. it really just, it, it just hits home because he's got a great attitude that, you know, we're all going to die sometime. And if you get a diagnosis today, they don't know whether you have two days or two years or 25 years. They're giving you their your, their best scenario. They told me I'd never speak again. Right. You can't trust that. I mean, they're not God. Right. right. But I'm all for, you know, going through all the medical treatment that you need, keeping the faith. Why not expect a miracle? Why not pray for a miracle and live every day to the fullest? Because again, you don't know. Don't live in fear, but I'm a real advocate on getting several opinions. When it comes to diagnoses, you've got to get, you know, two, three, four opinions until you feel that you have everything you need before you can go forward. Too many people will take one diagnosis and say, okay, that's it. When somebody else might say, no, there's a better cure. Exactly. And I think another thing that you said, which is so important, and I, I was married, my first husband was a doctor, so I learned to do this. But a lot of people are afraid to ask questions like the, like the doctor is God. But one of the things you say in here is ask the doctor and the medical staff questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're not getting good answers, like if you feel 
you feel like you're an imposition, change doctors. Because <laughs> when I went, finally found my oncologist, one dude, I talk about him in my book. I mean, he sat with me for an hour to tell me all about what was happening to me, what has happened, what my outcome is. Never made me feel like I was an imposition for asking anything. That's when I knew I had the doctor for me because I needed a lot of bedside, you know, TLC because I, I like to ask questions and I like to know, you know, I asked everything that was going inside me, every every needle, every medicine. My husband was like, what's that? Well, what's yeah, that because what if what if it's the wrong thing or what if they've got you mixed up with another patient? <laughs> really, always looking at that too. <laughs> one time they forgot to give me one of my steroids and we knew because we knew the system that I need to get my steroid today because I had steroids for three days after every chemo and there was a new nurse there and she didn't know. I sent her out. I said, go look at my chart. She goes, oh yeah, you do get one. I'm like, you know, they should be paying me. <laughs> I know. Now, another thing you say is, you know, because being diagnosed with something is is frightening, you know, you were talking about take a deep breath and get some spiritual counseling. I know some people don't realize that a prayer chain or a prayer group is so powerful. In fact, there's been research studies by many physicians showing that those people who are praying and have other people praying for them, that their um, healing rate is you know, far surpassing those who don't. Absolutely. I felt every prayer. It was so, so wonderful. It just made me feel really, you know, warm and fuzzy inside when I get cards and letters. I'm praying for you. You're on our prayer chain. My my husband even call in pastors and pray with them on the phone. Just, it would just really would help. I, I'm very, very big on that, very strong faith. And I don't know what I would have done without our strong faith. Mm-hmm. It makes you have that peace that passes all understanding, that you don't know why you feel just peace going through this, but you do. Exactly. And that was why. That's just something that's not explained except for that faith. And another thing you talk about also is that, um, you know, think positive thoughts. <laughs> you know, don't yeah. watch the darn news. Right, you know, right. Don't read the newspaper. <laughs> Put on Lucille Ball. I mean, even, you know, even though if you were never saw Lucy's original you know, shows right. I love Lucy. They are so funny. You know, just you, rent a bunch of funny, funny movies. Only go to funny movies and watch funny things. Absolutely. Oh, I couldn't watch. You know, when my when I lost my mom, I couldn't watch half the movies out there because they were going to just. You know, I would lose it. I was on my emotional wreck when I lost my mom. So you have to just kind of force yourself to be positive and try to like, steer away from things that could really just pull you down and stay away from people that could pull you down, whether you're going through an illness or or anything. Yeah, another thing. You, people. Yeah, you know, another thing you said, which I think is is very important, is don't try and do this alone. Because mm-hmm. I I have had friends who've had severe illnesses, who don't want to bother their friends. You know, they don't call and say, "Gee, I need your help." You right. know, people don't realize that being able to be with someone and be supportive is a gift to that person. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I found when I was sick, though, and you almost have to be in the situation to to have had this aha moment. But when I was diagnosed with cancer and I was sitting there having chemo, you know what made me feel the neatest was when I was there getting the chemo and people would be walking by me. They were coming in for their three-year checkup, their five-year checkup, and they were walking, talking, recovery, remission, done with all the stuff I was just going through at the time. And I saw them with their hair grown back, healthy, having a life again. Right. And that really, really gave me help. Even though I knew I was curable, the, the chemo was so bad. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to live through this. Right. And to see these people come through living flesh and blood that had made it through really, really gave me hope. 
Yeah, so I tell people, very go back. inspiring. Yeah. yeah, I love to go back to the chemo wards, talk to people, say I've been there, done that. They really like talking to us more than anything because we're living, breathing proof that you can get well. Yes. And and did you like the idea of getting into groups? Did you get into some groups where you would, you know, the cancer recovery groups? Well, I didn't because I'm so involved with my Mary Kay and my business and the cancer walks here that I have a great support system from all that. Right. I but have people hundreds. who don't, what do exactly. you think about that? Oh, always going to grow. I'm a big people person. Surround yourself with good people, good friends, good family, because life's too lonely and, and fragile without that. We're, again, there's power in numbers, and I always think of the snowflake. The snowflake alone, I mean, you could just, you know, press it between your fingers and kill it. But a snowflake stall sticking together, you got an avalanche. Right. You know, when you were talking about you kept busy, that's another one of your steps you said to, you know, to keep busy. You know, oh, even yes. though you have to go through your chemotherapy and all those things, you know, keep your mind busy. Don't don't be, you know, just looking at all the bad things and, oh, poor me. Keep busy. Do things for other right. people. And that's what you've done as, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a day where you cannot get out of bed. But you can, you know, that's okay. But on the days you can do something, the days you do feel better, even if it's just sitting out on your porch and having, you know, a cup of tea and watching the sun rise or set with your favorite pet, do yeah. positive things. Right. You also talk about number nine was develop your inner beauty. What did you mean by that? Everybody's beautiful inside. And, you know, I felt so ugly going through the chemo. I mean, I'd lose 10 pounds overnight. I lost all my hair the 14th day after my first chemo. You just, you feel ugly, and this I did, and I feel like, oh, and I lost my eyelashes, all the normal stuff, and you know what? We're all beautiful inside, and my husband made me feel so beautiful when I was bald, when I was skinny, when I was fatter, it didn't matter to him, and he really gave me the aha that that's seeing the inner beauty. He sees me, no matter what my outside looks like. I mean, God bless him, he'll love me no matter what, and I, I said, I've been through so much, I said, you love me no matter what, and always call me beautiful. You really just see to my heart and my soul. He's not looking at my size or my hairstyle or lack of. Right. And those, you know, all those feelings are pretty normal to be, you know, to feel that when, especially a beautiful woman like you to go through that. And and I've had friends who've gone through that. So I think that's really important to remember what really counts is the the inside. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And look at Christopher, you, you know, you talked about Christopher Reeves. Look what he went through and you know, oh, he yeah. was such a gorgeous guy, right? I mean, we were all in love. Oh, absolutely. And look how he turned that around to something positive. I mean, look, look what at he the, did. Yes. Yeah. The and he didn't, and he knew he didn't have that much time, but look what he, how he used right. that time. We well, you know sometimes when you make the most of your life, when you know you don't have much time left, we start really like, kicking up the quality of our life real quick. And he was groundbreaking and made a difference and became, you know, the poster person for that. And before that, he might have, he would have never gone into that direction and been such a help to other people. He was really a Superman, wasn't he? He really was. Another one that I really like is Adam Walsh story. Yes, yes. I mean, taking the most tragic thing that could possibly happen to you as a parent to yes. lose a child. Yes. And he turned that around to America's Most Wanted to help find thousands of missing children. Right. I mean, and, how proud and, he made his little boy. Yes, yes. I'm sure he did. And that's somebody that you know could have all definitely just sat around and whined and mourned for the rest of his life and would have been, you know, privy to that, but didn't. Yeah. Another thing you said is, you know, set goals for yourself, even if you don't know how much time you have left. Because none of us do. 
Right. I remember reading um, the the last lecture by Randy Rausch, you know, who had pancreatic cancer. Right. And yes, that I was such, a, you know, my husband saw the the special on him when he gave the lecture, but I missed it and I didn't watch it on the Internet, but I read his book and it was so inspiring because none of us are going to get out of this alive. Right. right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so we might as well do everything that we can to, to really, you know, use our time here to do good work, to, to be the best that we can be. And, you know, you had even talked about living in the moment because I mean, somebody can walk across the street and that's the end. Right. You know? So I guess the good news is if you have a disease, I mean, then you, you, you know, you that really appreciate it. The, this is it. This is this could be the end. So I better be doing really good stuff. Well, it makes me age well too because I love birthdays and I love getting older. And I want to celebrate eighty and ninety and a hundred. You know, women were always like, "Oh, don't tell. I don't want to celebrate my birthday. I'm fifty or I'm sixty or right. I, I just embrace the whole thing because on my thirty eighth birthday was the day I was diagnosed with cancer. So every birthday after that is a good one to me. It's a gift, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. Another thing you say is, you know, tell your family how much you love them. You know, a lot of people forget that they get, you know, friends that I've had that have passed on and family that have passed on. I always remember, you know, hey, it isn't worth fighting about in this. You know, are you going to fight about stupid little things? Right. 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 Are you going to get angry? You know, just enjoy. And you talk about this. Tell your family how much you love them and appreciate them, how important that is. And um, then you said focus on taking care of yourself. You have some really great things in here that you want people to to deal with when they get sick so that they know what to do. I try to make it um, um, a a little bit of a helpful book in there. When I wrote my memoirs and my autobiography there, I told about my story. And then I said, well, you know, I need to give some tips and just what what key things helped me through the abuse and how I got out and and what I was feeling because I know a lot of women really relate to it. And then how um, the cancer, because everybody battles with something, some kind of sickness, whether it's themselves or a family or friend or child, and just some things that really I learned through it. And I think if we all do that and we turn around and say, I learned some things through this experience. Let me help the next person. Let me write, you know, a blog or let me do something where I can let people know some of the tips that help me through because we're all going to relate to somebody different and somebody might give you just that one aha tip that you needed. Right. And, and just, it may resonate with you. How about you had that in part two, you had about escaping abuse. You had some tips. Will you give us some tips before we end about how we can really, you know, escape the abuse if there is some abuse? Well, first you need to identify that there is abuse. And that's what I like to, to teach on is how to identify the signs. But if you're feeling alone, neglected, or abused, or mistreated, if you are thinking that way, then you, you might be being abused. But you can go on my website, look at the relationship wheel, seek out to friends, talk to friends, open up a communication. Every, Everybody out there, if you have a best friend or a family member, if you don't, call a safe haven. Call a domestic hotline, a domestic violence hotline, and just talk to somebody if you feel that you're in a situation that you're really just, you're sad, you're miserable, you're being hurt, and you don't know what to do. Seek help. That's the best thing. Don't try to go through it alone, and don't try to figure it out yourself. We all need each other. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you talk a little bit about forgiveness, too, even though if you don't Mm -hmm. want to be with that person. Why don't you explain why it's so important to forgive? 
that's the most important thing to do because you could not control what they did to you, but you can control how you react to that. And if you forgive, I mean, I forgave whoever it is that murdered my dad. It's not my my guilt to be feeling unforgiveness or bitter or hate towards that. It, it's out of my control, but within my control is say that is on their head and forgive people for doing whatever they do. And that can be really hard in situations. That's something that takes a lot of faith and a lot of growing to be able to forgive somebody, but then to move on. Yes. I, Just because work. you forgive does not mean that you forget or you that you learn. allow it to yeah. happen again. And, you know, learn I, a lesson. yes, I do a lot of divorce mediation and, and mediation of people who have been, you know, in dispute and they hate each other. And then right. hopefully before we resolve it, it's part of like, Forgiving means giving it up. Exactly. You know, it causes illness. Stress causes cancers. And illness, we all know that's a bad effect on our body. So if we're harboring a lot of unforgiveness, you're just going to make yourself sick. And why do that? And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying work on it the best you can. And there's some things out there that happen to people that are unforgivable. But do your best. Just don't let it harbor make you sick, too. What is the legacy that you're trying to leave behind for us? I'm trying to make the world a better place as best I can. My my last line in my book says, my, my ultimate goal is that when I die, the Lord says to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I've done a good job to help other people be happy in this lifetime. And I've I've helped somebody along the way. I've encouraged somebody along the way. And when, I go, when I'm gone, there'll be some people that'll maybe miss me. Right, or that they'll, they'll love you and be inspired by you, too. Absolutely. I have a better life because I was here and, and showed them that miracles do happen and to never give up. Again, I'm just a real people person. I want people to be better because I was here, whether it's a few people or a lot of people. Maybe that one woman that escapes out of, out of, out of violence situation and she wasn't killed she got out. people who feel inspired and can get yeah. through illness how do you suggest what kind of suggestions do you have for people that that want to create a legacy for others themselves what 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 do you what do you think that they should be doing they need to listen to their heart they need to venture out there and if there's something you've always wanted to do whether it's you're an artist or a photographer or you want to run mm-hmm. a marathon Go out there, live every day like Patrick Swayze, because we don't know what tomorrow brings. And go out there and passionately do what you know that your God-given talents are. Use them. Right now, this economy is so bad, and people are tightening their belts, and they're not giving to charities. Well, how about giving an hour of your time? How about cleaning out a closet and giving some old clothes to a charity? People need things, as other things than just money. Money is always great. We need to eat and put food on our tables. But there's charities out there that would love to have your time. Love to have you come in and read stories to the kids in the hospital. Or There's just so much more we can do and just open up your mind. It makes you feel good and you're using your talents to help others. Go out there and do it and be the best you can be. I love that. You know, Live your best life now, like Oprah says. Yes. So how can people contact you and go to your website? And What are they going to find at that website? The website, they'll find all about my television show. They'll find all about how, how I do my speaking engagements. They can invite me to speak to their, their clubs or organizations. They can get information on cancer hotlines and domestic violence hotlines. They can find fun charities and more about the charities they may want to you know, know more about. And they can see that there's a woman out there giving hope to the hopeless and people think that they're not good enough to do whatever it is they feel they want to do. I am not the prettiest, the tallest, the thinnest, or the most able to do talk shows and 
write books. I was not an English major, but I'm doing it because God wanted my availability, not my ability. So you're going to find a woman there just like the woman next door that's making the best of her life, and you can too. Or the man next door. That's right. Guys relate too. All right. And I want to give that website, liveyourlegacytv.com. And also, I want to say the name of your book again, which I really enjoyed reading. If you want to read a book of inspiration, you're going to read I Won't Survive, I'll Thrive, How I Overcame Domestic Violence, Cancer, and Much More. And it's by Aurea McGarry. And find the strength to fight whatever comes your way. I want to thank you so much a ray of you are really a ray of light. You Thank truly you. are. Oh, my pleasure, Mari. Thank you for having me so much. And we will make sure that people go to your website, and I would really highly recommend this book. I found it great. They can Li- get it on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com as well. Sure. LiveYourLegacyTV.com, and they can even see those uh, TV shows right at your website. Yay. So thank you for joining us. Good night. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll talk to thank you Mari. soon. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, your host. Join us every week from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI. Also visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can see our upcoming guests. You can download podcasts. You can see our archived interviews and you can write us anything you want to know about privacy in the information age. Thank you, Lloyd, and good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.